Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. He's apparently got promoted overnight. That's great news. <laughs> Yesterday I was an intern. Sure. This is awesome. <laughs> Um, I'm going to pray for us again, please, if, if you don't mind just joining me in some prayer. Lord, this moment is about you. This Sunday is about you. We want to magnify your name today, Lord. We want to lift your name high, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We're here to glorify you, Lord, with the reading of your word, to sit under your teaching. I pray that you would minister to us today. Let your spirit speak to us, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. We want your word to sink deep into our hearts today, Lord. We don't want to walk away from here unchanged. I pray that you would challenge us today, encourage us, Lord, strengthen us, just help us to listen, help us to turn these things over, correct our thoughts where they need to be corrected, Lord. We are trusting you for transformation today. We're trusting you, Lord, for more of you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Cool. So today, we're going to pick up where, you can hear me, hey? It's fine, yeah. We're going to pick up where Jade left off from last week. Um, just to give us a quick recap, it's hours before Jesus is to be arrested. He's having an intimate moment with his disciples, minus Judas. Judas is, is off to, to finish his business. And uh, he uses this time to communicate some very, very weighty information to his disciples. Um, he's trying to prepare them for the reality that's coming after he's been resurrected and then taken up into heaven because he's not going to be with them anymore. So there's a lot of things that, they, that they're going to need to know about this life that they're about to face. So Jade pointed out last week, he gives them a mandate to abide in his love, but he also encourages them to love one another. He wants them to develop rich Christian love, Christian friendship, Christian fellowship. He tells them that this is a picture of the way that the Father loves him. We see this in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, chapter 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. But as we will go on to see today, this is not the only picture that he wants to present to his disciples. He's, he wants to show them just something else. So if I, if I can explain it to you like this. Imagine you're buying a product, um, or maybe you're subscribing to Amazon or Apple or whatever it is, Netflix. Um, what do they do? They list all the good stuff, right? They, they tell you everything that's good. They tell you all the good stuff that you can expect. It tastes great. Removes all the stains. Hey, you can sign up for free. Uh, use this space for free, whatever it is. They tell you all of this good stuff. But then when you take a closer look, you see there's an asterisk, asterisk somewhere next to those claims, and it's leading to some fine print. Somewhere on the page, there's fine print. It contains extra terms and conditions that maybe you didn't plan for. Or maybe just at the time when you were signing up, you didn't understand. Maybe, maybe no one told you that the first free mo three months were free, and then after that, money just starts disappearing from your bank account. Or maybe when you bought that t-shirt, you didn't read the little tag that's, that says, don't put this in a washing machine. Hand wash this instead, and then when it shrinks, you're kind of shocked. You're going, well, I didn't read that. I didn't read the fine print. And so today, we're going to see Jesus take a very, he's going to take a sharp turn around this corner, and his chat with these guys, it's, it's going to magnify supposed fine print, if we can call it that. 
with his disciples. So he tells them that point blank. He says, well, listen, you followed me this far, and if we have to keep going, you're going to be hated. You're going you're to face hatred. This is a sharp contrast with what he's just told them to do when you consider believers and believers interacting with each other. He's just now, he's just told them to, to love each other. But the reason it's in contrast is because what he's about to tell them, it's, it's not what they should expect from the world towards them, which is where their ministry is taking place in the world. So a few weeks ago, Kyle asked us a very important question. Are we following Jesus? When he says, follow me, are we following Jesus? Last week, Jade answered the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does that mean for us? How do we abide in Christ's love? And this week, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to manage our expectations of, of being Christians and try to navigate why we are hated for the things that we believe. So let's take a look at this text together. We're in John 15, and we're continuing from 18. We're going to go read up until 27, uh, 16 verse 1, sorry, not 27, 16 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the text is on the screen. You can follow along. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. So we're going to take a look at this text under three, three headings. We are not of this world. They are guilty of sin. And we are not alone. So the first one, we are not of this world. Um, do we have any, any science fiction fans in, in the church today? Anyone? Just a quick science fiction? That's good. So have you ever noticed in all of those movies what happens when an alien species visits Earth, right? Have you ever noticed that? It's always the same. They always end up going to New York City for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe get some sightseeing before they invade. I don't know. And then there's this big spaceship, and it blots out the sunlight. People are confused. People are scared. They don't know what to do. There's always that shot where they're getting out of the taxi, and it's, you know, oh, my word, what's in the sky? And then inevitably, the army gets sent out to investigate. But eventually, it always ends the same, maybe with one or two exceptions. Eventually, it always ends the same. All hell breaks loose, and war ensues. There's war miscommunication. In these movies, it's, it's very rare that humans and aliens know how to communicate with each other because they're from vastly different environments. They have a different set of rules. They have a different set of morals, ethics, languages, temperament. In every way, the humans 
are never like aliens. We're never the same. So it's no surprise then when we see that hell does break loose because two worlds are colliding. They're colliding, but they're not gelling. They're just, it's just going like this, colliding. Verse 19 says, But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. So I want to zoom in on what is, what is this world? What is this world that Jesus is talking about? What would we find it made up of? So 1 John 3, verse 12 to 13 says this. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. He's referring back to his original letter. Uh, uh, the, The gospel, sorry. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. In this text, John describes the way of the world, and he puts it, he says it's evil. He calls it evil. The way of the world is anti God. It would choose to murder rather than to love the way of righteousness. The way of the world is a disordered reality. One may even call it a chaotic reality because. This way of the world that doesn't acknowledge God's law, God's law and order, it just doesn't acknowledge it. So when God and his word enter into this reality, just like the alien invasion, of course there's going to be conflict. If there's a disagreement and there's no jelling, of course there's going to be conflict. Two realities are at loggerheads fighting, to, fighting for dominance, fighting to be the main reality. Jesus also uses this word Hate, it's, very, it's a very strong word, hate. He doesn't say that this world will respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> he doesn't say that this world will politely avoid conversation to keep the peace. He doesn't say that. He says hate, hate. To hate something is to, it's, it's the absolute extreme opposite of loving it. It's literally on the other end of the spectrum. I don't think I, I really have to explain that word. It's so strong. Even sometimes when I find myself using that word, I'll quickly check myself and I'll go, oh, oh, no, I don't hate it. I, I just dislike it. You know? I don't, it's not that I hate it, just strongly dislike. Because of how strong the connotation is, it's, it's a hard word. It sounds hard on the ears. And when we, when we come across it, it does. It's a jarring feeling inside of us. But I want to suggest that this is why he encourages them early in verse 17 to love each other because the world is not going to do that. The world is going to hate you, he says. The world is going to look down on you and challenge your foolish Christian thinking. The world is going to ask you, why are you so generous? The world is going to ask you, why are you faithful to your husband and your wife? The world is going to ask you, why are you here on a Sunday, week in and week out, When you could be using this time for something better, it's a beautiful day outside. We could be at the beach. Why are you here? And it's a very short answer. I think we all know. The answer is Jesus, plain and simple. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What, What are we doing here? We follow in the footsteps of another who's not a part of this world. He's not from this world. He's even clearer in verse 21. All these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. 
Did we forget how the disciples even got here? How did they get here? Why are the disciples in this position in the first place? Why are they sitting under the teaching of Jesus? Did they will themselves into the upper room through hard work, through determination, and a, maybe like a can-do attitude? You know, and now they're, they're communing with Jesus in this upper room. No. They encountered God in human form. And what happens when you encounter Jesus? What, is, what happens there? You change. Your whole makeup begins to change. Your actions are, are different. Your desires are reordered. Chaotic is existence suddenly finds rest and peace because something's happening in our soul. What is it? It's being rescued. Our soul is in the process of being rescued from the clutches of sin and from the clutches of this world. And so we start to live the way Jesus lived. That's what we do. But can we do that in our own, in our own strength? Can we do that? No, we can't. We learned last week that apart from Jesus, we can actually, there's nothing we can do. And so now our actions have a clear a director. We have a clear mandate. And he gives us the ability and the desire to act righteously. And that renewed sense of purpose to not do it for our sake, but to do it for God's glory. And he tells us, once you start to live out life bearing my name, you are undoubtedly going to be hated for it. You're going to be hated. But why is this the case? Why, why is it that following Jesus is so off-putting to those who are not following? Why? So I want to suggest to us that it's because Jesus has revealed the heart of the world to itself. That's what he's done. He's shown the world for what they are, what we are. Which takes me to my next point. They are guilty of sin. The world is guilty of sin. So let's read from 21 to 25. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So I want to shed some light on the use of the word, on the use of the word sin here. Um, I put it in inverted commas. Yeah, I did. Good. <laughs> Jesus is talking about a, a very specific sin, a particular sin that the religious leaders of the time had fallen into, they fell into this thing. And that was not believing that he was the Messiah. He's essentially saying to his disciples, listen, I've come just as I said that I would. I promised that I was going to come. Here I am. And what have they done? They don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe. And so now they are guilty. They have grounds for conviction. They have grounds for condemnation. If Jesus had not come, then everyone would still be waiting. But because he is now here... They've rejected him, and so they are guilty. He reinforces this by drawing attention to the signs and the works he performed to aid his messianic claim. More evidence for the religious leaders to submit to his claims and worship him as Lord and Savior, but they still reject him. They've seen it. They've seen all the signs. They've seen all the wonders, but they still reject him. But what does Jesus come to do? Let's read in John 1 verse 4. In him was life, so he's come to give us life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
So a very silly question, what does a light do? It's pretty simple. It lights up dark spaces. That's the point of a light. You could also say when it's dark, you can't see anything. You don't know where you're going. You can't see that you need, you can't see that you need to see in order to navigate in some sort of direction. We need light because if we don't have it, what happens? It's very simple. We just can't see. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're looking at in darkness. We don't know what direction to go in. So John tells us Jesus is the light. And so when he descended, he descended into an evil, unrighteous, hateful, dark world, a world living in sin. How does that song go? Light of the world, you came down into darkness. And what did he shine a light on? He shone a light on our sin, and by exposing our hearts in this way, he highlights our need for a Savior, because we are incapable of saving ourselves. That's what he does. So maybe we can think about it like this, all right? So picture this. Imagine that you and a friend of yours, you're both stuck in, in these in dead-end jobs, and, and you're tired of, of working for someone else. And so both of you decide, you work for different companies, both of you decide... Let's, go, let's start our own businesses. This sounds like a great idea. You start a business, I'm going to start a business, and we're just going to go into life starting our own businesses. So you run your business the way you want to run it, and I'll run my business the way that I want to run it. Suddenly, you look at your friend, and his business, it's taking off. It's booming. He's turning large profits. He's seeing rapid growth. But at the same time, you're noticing that your business is struggling a little bit. You're losing money. You're entrenching staff you realize that you're incapable of making this work. You just don't have the right skill set to make this work. So one day, your friend reaches out to you. He's like, hey, man, let's talk about your business. And you tell him, it's, not, it's really not going great. My business is failing. And he says, hey, buddy, I can see that this is tough, but maybe I can help. Something's happening here. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can show you some things. Maybe I can show you a way to save this failed endeavor with some things that I've tried. Maybe we can take a closer look at your books. Maybe we can take a closer look at your business practice, your management style. Maybe we can shed some light on where you're going wrong in your business. What is the obvious thing to do in that situation? Of course you take this guy up on his offer. It's a no-brainer. If you want this business to succeed, you take him up on his offer. Either that or you return to your dead-end job where there's, it's, it's lifelessness waiting you. There's nothing waiting for you there. Our lives are those failed businesses that need business rescue. Jesus comes in with his expertise and he says, if you'll give me the opportunity to manage, I can show you where to go from here. But these religious leaders, they, they couldn't see past this. They couldn't see past their own hubris. We're going to go to John 7. Um, and this is Jesus having a conversation with his brothers. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you because they're a part of it, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil 
Jesus had revealed the sinful, evil heart of the world. And they didn't like that. They didn't like hearing that they were guilty. And now to speak of sin in a a broader context. We're all guilty of sin. The difference between us and the world is that we embrace our need for a Savior. When Jesus shines the light on our lives, as he's done so with the world as well through his word, he almost shines a, a dividing line right down the middle of our hearts. There's a dividing line. Once we come into contact with that knowledge and of, of knowing who Jesus is, there's a dividing line that's cast straight down the middle of our hearts. And we have a responsibility to hear everything that's presented to us, and then we say, yes, I will follow, or no, I, no, I will not. I need to mention this. I'm not arguing for any sort of theological standpoint on salvation. If you'd like to do that, you can come and speak to me um, or a few others after the sermon. Um, But there are examples in Scripture of Jesus preaching the gospel to people that he knew were not going to follow him, but he preached it anyway, the rich young ruler being one example. He said, give up your riches, and he went away sad because he couldn't give them up. And And another example is what we're seeing here is the Jewish leaders, a couple of examples. We rest in the fact that we are chosen by God, but that doesn't remove any responsibility on us from having to make a decision to follow or not to follow. Often we will not make a difficult decision because we're pondering potential bad outcomes for ourselves. What what is this going to look like if I make this decision? And it's not different for these Pharisees that Jesus speaks to either. What would they have to give up in order to follow Jesus? Probably quite a lot, as we will all have to do if we follow Jesus. But the beauty of this passage is that Jesus, he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't say, all right, follow me, and cool, that's, that's it, you, you're on your own. On the contrary, he says, well, if you're going to experience all of this for my name's sake, I, I have to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm not going to let you do this alone. Which brings me to my last point. We are not alone, church. Let's read verse 26 and verse 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And we're going to take a look at this under a couple of points, the witness of the Holy Spirit and the community of believers. So not only does Jesus inform the disciples of what's to come, but he's, he's gracious enough to provide them with a solution to their problem. What they were about to experience, it's going to be tough. Incredibly difficult circumstances because of their profession of faith. Death in awful ways awaiting all of them. Evil, torture carried out by the hands of the world. Unjustly, unfairly. Remarkably, we don't hear accounts of these apostles ever giving up. That's not something we ever hear about. They don't just give up. We don't hear that they wavered. Why is that? Well, it's because they've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that's bearing witness to them as they bore witness to the truth that they receive from Jesus Christ. It's called the Spirit of truth for a reason. It's not called the Spirit of lies because it will not bear witness to lies. It bears witness to truth. So in a world where lies are constantly trying to derail our belief of Jesus, the Spirit of truth is working overtime to make sure that we don't fall prey to all the lies that we hear in the world today. And it was the same for them too. 
Is this truth going to manifest out of thin air? Is that going to happen? Is the Spirit going to bear witness to just anything? No, of course not. It needs something to bear witness to, right? It needs truth to process in order for us to bear witness as well, and in order for it to bear witness to us. Where do we find this truth? The most obvious place, it's in our Bible. So the disciples didn't have Bibles, but they had Jesus' words. They had Jesus in the flesh. They didn't have what we had. But through the words that were spoken to them by Jesus, the Spirit was able to minister to them in truth. John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It was as if they had their own personal, internal, motivational speaker that was constantly reminding them of what was true, reminding them that Jesus had told them that this was going to happen. This is all going to happen. Remain calm. This is all meant to happen this way. And reminding them that they had to persevere through it. One of my favorite things about the sending of the Helper is that Jesus already knew. He, knew. he knew everything. He knew everything that they were going to go through. And he preemptively provides for us. How loving is that? Preemptively provides for us. And another way that he provided for his disciples was in the form of community. They had each other. So verse 27, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. What has Jesus been hammering on about in this whole passage? He's been telling the disciples how much the world is going to hate them but he's still encouraging them to go out. Yes, they have the Holy Spirit, but they still have to face the reality of a hateful world. That's what they still have to do. So I want to suggest that Jesus' charge for the disciples to love one another is going to extend into their Christian witness. It will put the love of Christ on display. I've got love of Chris on my notes here, sorry. It's not the love of Chris. Let me just put a T in there. Put the love of Christ on display. (laughs) And even this notion will be used to stir something in the hearts of others that don't believe. The world is so so ready to be done with us, church. They are already done with us. People seriously don't enjoy Christians. They don't. We get called bigots. We get called old-fashioned. People tell us that we're stuck in the past. They say that we're devolved because our thinking seemingly hasn't progressed the same way that their human wisdom has progressed. We fear the hatred of the world, and it, and it lulls us into a fearful passivity of keeping our faith under wraps in a time where it needs to be on display more than ever. And what's comforting about this passage is that, yes, we will be hated for what we believe, but we'll be doing it together. We'll be hated together. It's comforting, right? To be doing this together. Come on, imagine if you were by yourself. That would be awful. Jeepers. If you've been following Amber Heard, I mean, she knows how that feels at the moment. <laughs> Unanimously by the world. We'll be doing this together. And when the going gets tough, what, what can we hold on to? We can hold on to truth. We can hold on to things like Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows more than anyone Jesus knows. He was the most hated of us all. He was the most innocent of us all. And for absolutely no reason, he understands more than anyone why we would rather keep our faith hidden. But I want to end off with this very interesting, this very interesting uh, verse here in, in chapter 16, verse 1. He kind of ties everything together and he, and he tells us at the end why he's saying all of these things to us. He kind of summarizes it and wraps it up. He says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. What does that mean? It means that Jesus knows us, church. He knows what is likely to trip us up. He knows what is likely to steal our focus. In 2 Timothy, we see an example of of one of Paul's ministry partners, a a guy named Demas. In this letter, Paul, Paul writes about Demas deserting him because he loved the world. This is someone who's, who's been in ministry. He's been in prison with Paul. He's suffered with Paul. But Demas deserts him because he loved the world. We see it happening with pastors who fall into sin. We see it happening in our homes. When we take our eyes off Jesus, things start to fall apart. When we make other things priority, things start to fall apart. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. He puts... He puts so many things in place for us to withstand the impending hatred for the disciples, for us. The fact that we know about it is already a a head start. Imagine you became a Christian and you didn't know this. And one day someone said, hey, oh, you're a Christian, I hate you. And you're going, but what? Why? What are you talking about? Of course we know that we cannot lose our salvation. But there are many of us who will walk away from this. We will. We'll make the decision to not follow anymore. We believe that we're saved, but it doesn't show in our lives. It doesn't manifest in our lives. We look good on paper, but we are unwilling to venture into persecution territory for Jesus' sake because of our own personal comfort. So before I close... I'm going to close with some, with some facts for you guys. Um, I'm going to give you some statistics uh, so we can have a healthy perspective while considering what Jesus has said to his disciples. These, these stats can be found on a website called Open Doors. I think they're a missionary organization. Um, and the numbers are, are pooled together from the top 50 countries in the world where it's the most difficult to be a follower of Jesus. All right, so are you ready for this? Actually, they're on, the, yeah, they're on the screen. And this is, a, this is over the last year. So in, in the last year, there have been over th- in these 50, only these 50 countries, so there's much that we actually don't know about. But in these 50 countries, over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and, and discrimination. There have been close to 6,000 Christians killed for their faith. Close to 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. And close to 5,000 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned for their faith. And this is where I had to ask myself that question. I had to go, is, is, isn't this a message of hope? Isn't, aren't, isn't that what we're taking to the world? Hope, peace, love, community, 
that's the message. That's the message we're taking into the world. Why is there so much hostility towards us? If we were going to places armed to the teeth with a nefarious agenda, I would definitely understand why people wouldn't, I would understand that, why people wouldn't receive us well. But isn't this, it's good news, right? This is good news. And yes, the answer it is, it is good news. Of course, that's the answer. This is great news. But we mustn't forget that this world is not good. The good news is good, but this world is not good. And now us in South Africa, here in PE, we have the pleasure of living in this country. We don't have to go through what those people are going through. We can worship Jesus freely. We don't have to experience, you know, as the stats were saying, high levels of, of persecution or fatal, or fatal persecution or, or discrimination. But I do acknowledge that every place has its own unique set of challenges for the Christian there. And here where we are, South Africa PE, you know, I want to suggest that ours will occupy a more ideological realm. You know, we're, we're contending for our faith with ideas at, at university, at work, in a Western context. We're guarding against progressive thought. We're battling our own fears and insecurities that are preventing us from worshiping freely in our, in our daily living. What is someone going to think of me? You know, am I going to do this right? And this passage goes to show today, Jesus gives these disciples a reality check because they have just received a ticket to go on this ride and it's, it's going to turn out to be a very, very bumpy, wild ride. A, ride. a ride that will lead to much pain, a ride that's going to lead to much suffering, torture, unjust and unfair treatment, even betrayal by their own kind. But what can we take heart in in that? What does that sound like? Who's, who's gone through that? Jesus has gone through that. So if you're here for the first time today, uh, I'm really sorry that you had to hear this today. <laughs> but if you're here for the first time today, or even just a first time hearer, if you're a Christian visiting for the first time, don't, I want to say don't panic. You have this information now. You are, you are more prepared than you were before you walked into this building. Please don't panic. The joy of serving Jesus Christ, the joy of being in Christ, it far outweighs any experience that we may have here on earth. Good experience or bad experience, the joy of Christ is insurmountable. It surpasses all of that. My intention is not to make this sound doom and gloomy. I'm, I'm literally just telling you what Jesus is saying to us. And so this road and this journey, it comes with a cost. It has to come with a cost. And if it's a price you're willing to pay, we would love to have you. We'd love to have you. For the faithful returners, we are a comfortable people, CG. We're comfortable here in our context. You know, while I was reflecting on this, I had to... It, it's, when, I'm, when you're prepping for these preachers, you really have to get down to the Scripture and wrestle with it. And it's tiring because you're confronted with your own sinful nature. And so I had, to, I had to acknowledge it myself. I don't love others as I should, you know. I'm not, I'm not bearing a good witness in the way that I love my fellow Christian brother. And I'm, that's me making a confession up here. I need to be better. I need to be better at this. I'm lacking in that. And I don't want you to hear what I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying, I'm not encouraging us to seek out conflict and persecution. 
But I am encouraging us to live unapologetically. I'm, I'm encouraging us to live faithfully in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, yes, if you do that, of course that stuff is going to follow. Hatred and persecution will follow. That's what Jesus says. If we're doing this right, if we're doing this faithfully. And the difficulty of sometimes standing up here is, is that I wish that I could, I wish I had a, a set of glasses that could look into each one of your lives and preach individually to each person's situation, but I can't. I don't have the time to do that. We'd be here, you know, all day if I had that chance. And so I, I need to say that I don't know where your struggle may lie in this area. I don't know how you're wrestling with this at the moment. Maybe you have a job where it is very difficult to proclaim Christ. I don't want to negate that. Maybe you have a family. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family and no one else understands what you're going through. They don't understand why you want to live your life this way. But I hope you can see that the experience and the joy in knowing that your Savior went through this too is very, very, very comforting. His own brothers didn't believe. We don't suffer without him understanding us always. And that is tremendously comforting, church. If you are experiencing this hatred, good job. Keep going. (laughs) You're obviously doing something right. You're living faithfully. And I want to exhort you. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't let the hatred of the world slow you down. Just let Jesus keep fueling and ministering to your spirit to keep you going and going and going and going. Life is a light It's a light, momentary affliction. It's a blink, a vapor. It's a mist. It's going to be gone one day. It's here, and then it's gone. It's a short time to experience a little bit of hatred. And with the help of our Jesus and his Holy Spirit and each other, I, I really pray that we will persevere and withstand. Amen. Thanks, worship team. You can come up. Lord Jesus, you are so great and you are so good. Lord, you are mighty and powerful. You are faithful and sovereign, Lord. You are the King of kings, the ruler of rulers, Lord. You are our wonderful counselor and our helper, sent to minister in spirit and in truth, Lord. We love you so much. Lord, would you forgive us for those times that we are ashamed to speak up in your name? Lord, would you give us a boldness and a courage to declare your name with confidence, Lord? We can't do it without you. We don't have the skills. We don't have the means. We only, we need your strength. We need you, Lord Jesus, for everything, every single day. And we believe, Lord, you are the son of the living God, the one true living God. You are the savior of our souls, rescuing us out of darkness, Lord. You have plucked us out of darkness to share in the spoils of your glory. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. What a beautiful set of news, Lord, the good news. Help us to believe, Lord. Help us to rest in that. Help us to meditate on that every single day. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. In your wonderful name, amen.